Welcome everybody, this is the first episode of our podcast that's still nameless. I'm sitting here with Ethan Wolf that has come here all the way from Europe, but originally comes from New York City, and I'm very happy to have you here. Oh, it's great to be here, man. I'm excited to finally get into this podcast and, you know, start educating other people about the real things that matter, you know? Yeah, it's super fascinating. Me and Ethan met in Portugal about a month ago, even a bit less. And we got into a super fascinating conversation about quantum mechanics and physics and world opening concepts. And I just wanted to hear more. And no, it was, a, it was an amazing time. You know, we were all just hanging out outside, like a big group of us. and. Somehow we just got into these ideas of general relativity, you know, that sense of quantum mechanics itself, diving into what quantum gravity is, and then we somehow bridged into what consciousness is, like the essence of feelings and just why we exist in general. And it was such an amazing conversation. Everyone was just so captivated. It's, uh, it's inspired me to reach more people, you know? I saw people listening to you, and usually they don't shut up because we were in a group of people that know stuff. Exactly. You know, yeah. everyone were genius in their field and everyone were just silent and absorbing information. So for me, that was mind-blowing and I was like, I want to get more of that and I want to spread it out. Yeah. Uh, so Ethan is a bachelor's of uh, mathematics and physics. He uh, comes from New York and is going for a PhD in quantum gravity next year, uh, which is insane for me <laughs> to even to even pronounce it <laughs> and you're currently working with ai you're doing some coding you're doing data analysis and basically you're putting your mind to work and your brain every day i also actually just got hired to uh teach uh high school and college students in physics and mathematics you know ranging from basic pre-calculus all the way to uh differential equations and uh relativity as well so it's uh, it's exciting, you know. It's a uh, it's a cool it's a cool thing to be able to educate the next possible leaders of the fields, you know. Just being able to dive into expressing how important it is to know these things, know why math is important, know why science is important. It's what creates our world. It's what creates advancements. It's what can create a world in which we're doing more, being more. You know, it's. It's how we progress to be the species we can be rather than continuing to fight each other over nonsense such as uh, political views, uh, color of our skin for that matter, just our own religious standings. It's, it's not what we were meant to be. We're meant to be a species that's unified, explore the universe itself. We've been explorers since our conception, since we were Neanderthals. You know, it's the path we need to be on. And the path, the way we get there is through science, mathematics, and just understanding and appreciating these fields. Even if we don't do them ourselves, we understand the importance of them. And that's the point of this podcast, you know? So we're going to unwrap everything you just explained, because for you it makes total sense, but I'm sure that for me and both our listeners, some of the concepts that you've just brought up don't make 100% uh, sense because there's so much more to it and to the understanding of what we actually are, what everything is made out of, what's our purpose or 
you know, these philosophical questions that we usually approach from a place of wonderness and you just raise up ideas. But for you, you have a different approach and you're using a lot of data and a lot of mathematics and science that you've accumulated all along those years. And that's what we're trying to bring out and to enlighten both my own personal consciousness, that's what I'm here for, and, and spread it out to our listeners. So the topic of today, how are we going to start? Yeah, so today uh, we're going to talk about something that is very prevalent in the world, uh, something that many of us most likely have heard about, and that is quantum computing. Uh, it's, it's a field that, you know, you may have heard, okay, cool. We're gonna, we have our own computers that we have nowadays, but a quantum computer, what is that? Why is that even important? Why, why put all the time and effort into it? So the reason why these, uh, these new computers or these new systems of creating data or more the fact of analyzing data, uh, programming into a new perspective is, uh, is important due to the fact that Quantum computers are able to create faster calculations. They're able to solve more complex problems. And one day we may actually be able to integrate AI into a quantum computer and create a fully realized artificial consciousness. Wait, wait, wait. You're jumping very deep, very fast. What is a quantum computer? Is it something that I can imagine? Because I'm looking at my MacBook right now and that's a computer and i don't know if it has any quantum uh, qualities to it in the back end so let's get to it from this so um when you think of a computer you think of your laptop like you just said um our laptops today run off of classical principles what i mean by that is basic equations of uh, electrodynamics uh basically these equations that explain how electricity moves um, specifically how electrons move throughout a system. And so these are principles that we've known since the mid-1800s. Uh, applying these principles into more complex systems, i.e. a computer like a MacBook, um, we are able to uh, basically move electrons in a certain way that allow for us to type away and create uh, whatever we do create, you know, create image software, uh, the entire World Wide Web, for that matter. Hell, we even went to the moon with computers. Those computers, although, were the size of an entire warehouse. Um, you mean the computers, the fake, the the images of the landing? <laughs> well, that's all. That's all other topic. But uh, they were not faked. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, know. I just I need to throw <laughs> throw a bone out for all the conspiracy stakers in the crowd. Of course, <laughs> it's uh, it's fun. It's fun to uh, know, joke about. But uh, but yeah, no, it was um. You know, it's these are the principles that allow us to have computers that we have today. Now, quantum computers, they run off of quantum mechanical principles. Uh, the most basic way to explain why or the big difference between a classical computer and a quantum computer is that with a, with a classical computer, we have uh, these things that hopefully or most people have an idea of a bit, like a 64-bit, 128-bit. You know, it's the it's the amount of processors that your computer has to uh, take in information and run in calculations based off of binary code, i.e. zero and ones. So the way a classical computer works is that you uh, you type in a function or you type in a you know, program or whatever, 
And the way it does this, uh, these certain calculations or the way it creates this program is that it has a certain set of zeros and ones. This certain set of zeros and ones correlate to a function that will, or a program that will pop out on your computer. That's just how binary code works. So that's the reason why binary exists. That's basically what, from what I've learned in the past about how my computer or any uh, electric device works, it's either zero or one, which is no pools or yes pools. Yeah, that's actually, that's a great way to think about it. You know, it's, uh, you have a yes and a no for that matter. So all these yeses and nos correlate to uh, a whole sentence, if you will. Now, the cool thing about a quantum computer is that rather than it being zeros or ones, i.e. a yes or a no, it's actually both a zero and a one or a yes and a no at the same time. That's the point where you're starting to lose me. So let's be, let's be fragile. Around here. Yeah, no, of course. Um, so this principle or this idea is called quantum superposition. Now, the ideas of quantum superposition are that you can have many states, many states integrated into uh, one space or one function at the same exact time. So you can have both yes or no's at the same time. That's weird to think about, I understand. But the reason why it works is because quantum mechanics or quantum uh, entanglement, all these quantum principles, they work off of the fact that our universe on the most fundamental level, on the smallest level of existence, is all probabilistic. It's all, it's all based off probability. So until uh, an event is observed or uh, the wave function, for that matter, breaks down, uh, a wave function is what describes uh, the state or the information of a quantum particle or a quantum system. A quantum system is simply just many particles interacting with each other. You said quantum many times. Yes. <laughs> um, so this is the funny thing about quantum mechanics or just uh, fields and uh, just correlating around quantum theory. We put quantum in front of everything <laughs> because uh, it's, you know, these are principles that were once classical, but now they work in this quantum regime. Quantum is simply a way to describe uh, fundamental particles and fields interacting together. Within, so from what I'm getting out of it, the view of time in that equation kind of changed because everything is on the same line or the same level because now probability is the uh, y-axis, I'd say, and you say, you, you put things on the graph according to the probability and not when they occur on the timeline. That's actually exactly right. Um, if you take a look at a... Uh, a wave function graph, you'll actually see probability is the y-axis. It's it's uh, it's funny that you did that you know you did that exact um, that exact uh, description of like what probability uh, would be on this x-y-axis. I feel like I haven't said that before, but I have no <laughs> scientific background. I did take some courses, you know, throughout high school, um, but I'm I'm just getting it from what you're describing. So. That the way that the wave function or the way that these particles work is that probability is uh, probability determines what event happens or what 
particles interact and basically go from a quantum regime or a probabilistic regime into a definite regime, i.e. don't become probability anymore, but actual uh, fact or actual existence for that matter. That's important. So taking all these ideas that we just discussed, we need to backtrack into uh, the whole ideas of quantum computing. Now, if we have this idea that uh, quantum superposition, or superposition for that matter, works... What is superposition? Perfect, yeah. Uh, superposition is basically many different states all uh, connected into one state. So you can think about uh, different particles. Oh, let's, let's think about like uh, many train cars. Separate, they're all individual train cars. They all have their own states. But when you link them together, you have one big train, correct? It's the same principles there. Superposition is adding all of these different pieces together to create one connected state. So the one connected state here in the superposition of things would be all probabilities, both if something went that way or the other way, all the possible outcomes or existent uh, uh, measures at one state you kind of put them together. That's exactly right. And For representation methods or what do you do with... It's actually the way that fundamental physics works. It's the way that our fundamental universe itself works. It's that all of these different states are occurring at once, but it's not until uh, it's not until an event occurs or an outside stimuli occurs, such as uh, photons hitting the system or um, an electrical device measuring the system collapses the wave function or collapses the superposition into one defined state. So um, that makes me think of decision-making process. For me, when I face uh, a decision that I need to make, when I have many possibilities and options, they're all in their superposition, like everything can exist and does exist at this moment because... I have the potential to pursue it all. But once I make the decision or even speak out what I want to do, I kind of may mark one thing out of this superposition and make it reality or make it... Uh, That's exactly right, actually. Um, so that dives into that would dive into my interpretations of what our own consciousness really is. Uh, in a few words, so that, you know, we kind of stay on topic. My interpretation of uh, our consciousness is simply a biological manifestation of quantum mechanics in a uh, biological creature, for that matter. It's the way that fundamental laws of the universe uh, present themselves in a more complex way, or in a way in which life itself can exist, in which more things are able to be created, in which uh, societies are able to become built in which a species is eventually able to explore the very universe that we exist in. Um, that dives into more philosophical uh, ideas into why we exist, uh, the point of uh, consciousness itself, you know, but these are also concepts we'll dive into uh, most likely. Yeah, I feel like this is super fascinating and that's where we're aiming uh, within science in general, you know. Everyone's trying to solve that one big question of why we're here or what's the meaning of everything and all of this. 
I'm not promising we'll get to a definite <laughs> answer by this podcast, but we're definitely explorers and we're always looking to get closer to that, uh, to that limitless, endless uh, uh, solution. I want to take us back to quantum computing after we've defined a couple of uh, key, of key points. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, um, you know, now that we have all these ideas of what superposition is or what quantum superposition is, um, what the essence of uh, this being able to be in both a yes and no at the same time, we can now dive into why or how quantum computers really work. So the way, uh, like I was saying earlier, the way a classical computer works is it's either a yes or a no. Now that's important because with a yes or a no, you can only have a uh, a like one dimensional or a relatively small dimensional uh, computation space. Uh, what I mean by that is that you can only do so many things within a uh, an allotted amount of time. Now, uh, the cool thing is when I was saying earlier that quantum computers are able to do faster calculations, classical computers are able to, well, for not all problems, so for some problems that are not too complex but require a lot of, uh, a lot of computation, classical computers are capable of doing this. However, uh, there was actually a problem that was just solved recently on a quantum, or a couple years ago on a quantum computer in which it would have taken a classical computer about, uh, I, I want to say over a thousand years in order for it to actually produce a result. A quantum computer was able to do it within less than a month. That's mind-boggling. You know, think about how many, that's 10 human lifetimes if you're averaging 100 years on each lifetime. And a, quant a quantum computer could do it in a month. That's just beyond the scope of pushing forward, creating more, understanding more. Um, it's. Did you have a question? It seemed like you had a question. It just sent me to, I have a tattoo on my leg where it says 42, and that comes from the Hitchhiker's Guide to Galaxy, yeah. and they actually formed a quantum computer and asked it what's the meaning of life, and that quantum computer went into a thinking mode of millions of years. So I'm thinking if you'd use a normal computer for that, the book would not proceed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's... You know, this is uh, one of the important reasons of like creating a quantum computer. It's because you're able to now do calculations at such an immense speed that um, we're able to learn more. We're able to get results faster. Now, that's just one important. And Before you keep on selling out the, the need for a quantum computer, because I'm bought already, but I, <laughs> I am willing to, to hear the rest, I want to further understand how it makes faster calculations because the concept of a superposition is, I, I feel like I understand it by now, but how you apply it into computing, uh, there would be something that I would love to put down in my... That's perfect. Yeah, I kind of got carried away with why they're so important. They're just, they're so amazing, you know? Um, so the how you know, the how and why of how it works, or the how and why of uh, the existence of a quantum computer. So the way that this superposition is able to uh, create these faster calculations is that 
now you have both a yes and a no for each bit, or we call them quibits, quantum bits. So having both a yes and a no at the same time and having many different bits or quibits um, core or working together, you're able to have uh, many different possibilities become correlated together. So you can have one bit, that's a yes and a no. You'll have your second bit, that's a yes and a no. Then you can create a yes and a yes, a yes and a no, a no and a yes, and a no and a no. That's four whole, uh, four whole computations or four whole states that prior to uh, quantum computing could never exist. In a classical computer, it would only be a yes and a no, and then the computer would have to go back to the original spit, you know, the original spot, the starting point, and then become yes and a yes, and then go back and so on and so forth. That takes a lot of time, especially when you have many bits. So now you're thinking, or now we have this ability to have many states become correlated with less bits. This is important because now, rather than having a one-dimensional or a small-dimensional computational space, we have a large or a many-dimensional computation space. What I mean by that is that many different states are able to work at the same exact time due to this idea of superposition or due to this concept of superposition. And with all these different states working at the exact same time, you're able to do more calculations within a smaller amount of time. That's how this whole idea of faster than classical computers works. It's that many things are being done at the same exact time, creating less time for the computation to that that sends me to thinking about my own brain and our brains i feel like we're not working like a, an orthodox computer the way we've known them so far of a yes and a no when i meditate lots of thoughts are coming in the same time and lots of things exist at the same time and the thought is not uh, linear or bin binary binary what do you say Binary, yeah, sorry. I'm from, <laughs> yeah. And so what I'm, what I'm thinking is the way our brain functions is more quantum than all the classical computer. And the leap we're talking about here from moving from normal computers to quantum computers is something that will contribute computers become more human-like in the way they process information and data and make decisions. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's actually a, a great interpretation. Um, that goes back onto the idea of what my, uh, my thoughts or my perspective on what our own consciousness is. You know, like I said, it's a biological manifestation of quantum mechanics or fundamental uh, equations, fundamental fields, the ones that build up our entire universe. So going onto these ideas, it's now uh now taking into a fact of like why these uh these quantum computers are able to um represent or more uh so to speak become more human-like um the reason why is because like i said our brains are working off of these principles they're uh different states you know different choices if you will that happen at the exact same time you know, there are different thoughts that go on in our brains at the exact same time. You know, that's how that's how we all feel, you know, it's, and it's because it's how it works. 
So, yes, they become more human-like, but human-like in the sense that their computational power or their uh, their very structures are representative of how the brain works, but in a more technological or more uh, rigorous type of way. Now, that will eventually lead into why uh, or how integrating artificial intelligence into a fully realized quantum computer could bring about a artificial consciousness or basically creating a uh, I, I don't want to say life form, but technically it's it would be a life form. It's a life form within a robotic body that would actually be able to think for itself and think much more complex and a lot more uh, connected because it's on the grid already and it has the accessibility to to all information existed. I want to take us back to uh, how tech like what did change in technology that made it possible for computers to to grasp something that's more complex than a yes and a no uh, it's still working on on uh, electrical pulses so what tech did we need in order to to get to that state where we can create quantum computers that even have the ability to imagine and to to start leading into everything you were describing here yeah um yeah so that deals with uh something that we might all be aware of uh superconductors you know we've i feel like many people have heard this word or at least you know i've heard it i need a further explanation yeah, exactly <laughs> so what a superconductor is it's basically a like a conductor i.e something that conducts electricity or conducts electrons from one place to another. Now, a superconductor, it works off of these uh, this idea of uh, no resistance. Now, every conductor that exists today, that's not super, has a uh, resistance to it. Resistance simply means that electrons are moving slower or not moving as uh, graciously or as fluid as they could if there was no resistance, i.e. nothing holding them back. This is something to, this is something to correlate to uh, thinking about, let's say, when you're moving through sand, you're moving a lot slower than you would on pavement. That's because there's more resistance on sand. There's more of a it's, a, it's a harder barrier to traverse. So in our case, what was creating this resistance? Uh, so yeah, the, the existence or the the way resistance works on a conductor scale is that there are either imperfections in the metal or there's two uh, the thermal uh, readings or the thermal uh, sorry uh, what's the exact word it's the thermal uh, environment that causes the electrons to uh, move in a not so fluid way uh, the reason why is because when you have a metal that becomes heated up the electrons become excited. Excited electrons move more chaotically. Uh, when you move more chaotically, you have resistance. And the reason you can think about it as uh, if like you have, uh, let's say, let's say you have a river, right? And you have these, uh, let's say, floating ducts, like rubber duckies. If they're all moving in a straight line, 
they're all going to reach the end or you know the end point at the same exact time but that's not how we observe uh most of these little like rubber ducky races you know these rubber ducks because of the way that currents work because of the outside environment the stimuli around it they end up changing courses and hitting into each other and so it takes a longer and longer time for them to get to the end point or for all of them to get to the end point this same principle or the same idea can be used to understand why resistance causes electrons to move slower. Slower moving electrons means less power or slower computations. And that's why in conductors, resistance exists. It's that there's a more chaotic environment. It's because it's not built efficient enough to, to take out all those factors that Uh, don't allow the natural flow to just keep on streaming. It sounds easy concept-wise, but then application-wise, I'm looking at trying to find the exact laboratory kind of a, a situation and then double it and double it and keep on keep on applying it because if you're trying to perfect, a uh, system like that, you have to take out a lot of resistance. And... Exactly. No, that's exactly right. Um, and so the way that we have currently been doing that is that uh, there are certain types of metals that are naturally uh, more, more perfect. Um, the reason why we say or reason why I say more perfect than uh, metals that we use for a normal conductor is that the atomic lattice of or the atomic structure of these metals are more uniform. So think about it as a uh, think about it as basically interpret a, a three-dimensional box or a cube for that matter. Now place dots at every single point of this cube um, and make them all flat and uniform so that you have all these dots perfectly spaced from each other and creating the whole structure of this cube. This would be a perfect model or this would be an ideal model for a metal that is... capable of uh, allowing electrons to flow freely or allowing them to flow in the ideal manner so that there is no resistance. Now, the way that we've been able to achieve this type of structure or close to this type of structure is that we have found metals that have a more rigid or more structured lattice and we use an environment that is only Uh, if I remember correctly, only a hundredth of a degree higher than absolute zero. Absolute zero is the coldest temperature that can ever be achieved due to uh, due to thermal uh, mechanics. Which is like minus 72 uh, Celsius? Uh, that's actually a good question. Um, in Kelvin, which is the unit of measurement we use for theoretical for physics, um, it would be zero Kelvin. That's the most uh, the basic or the lowest point of temperature that can ever be achieved in our entire universe. I was wrong. It's minus 459.67 Kelvin. 
Fahrenheit and minus 273.15 degrees Celsius, which is very low. Very cold, yes. <laughs> Coldest that will ever exist in our universe. Um, not even space is that cold. So... I met some women, you know, and uh, yeah, it's they're pretty close to it, honestly. Some, some, so cold, yeah, <laughs> nah, but uh, but you know, ba- going back onto this uh, this idea of absolute zero. If we remember how I was talking about earlier, these ideas of thermal, uh, you know, a thermal environment or the way that. Uh, higher temperatures cause electrons to become more chaotic in their movement. If you're at almost the coldest temperature that can exist in our entire universe, then there is no heat. There is no thermal radiation to cause these electrons to start bouncing all over the place and hitting each other and taking longer, if you will. This is really, really important because now these electrons are able to almost or basically move in that straight line that the rubber duckies would move in in an ideal situation in a river that is so calm and so perfect that they all go at the same pace and hit the uh, end point at the same exact time why this is important is because if you have a faster transmission of electricity or a faster transmission of these uh these pulses these yes and no pulses or yes yes and no um then you have a faster computational ability because you're able to connect one equipment to the other a lot faster than you could in a regular environment or an environment in which we don't have a uh, a conductor or a superconductor with a metal that is perfectly structured. Because then it's more predictable to know where each particle or each, uh, what you call it, the, the yes and no components, quibit. So you know where, where precisely each quibit would be because there's no outside interference or uh, blockage, I call it resistance. Yeah. And, then, and then you can count on the probability of location of every quibit to be there. And then the computer can function and reach out to, to anything it needs instantly. And that's... It sends me to think about ice bats, which will become something big uh, in society and culture, of like trying to be in a meditative state and let your brain free. Uh, it kind of sends me to the same place where you take out a lot of heat, things line up and you can access things uh, in your mind, brain, body more efficiently exactly no that's exactly right um you know as we continue with this podcast it's going to be become very prevalent that all these principles we talk about all of these principles that govern our fundamental universe really do apply to our own existence itself our own being and the reason why is because like i said we are all just manifestations or biological manifestations of quantum mechanics you know it's the way that the universe starts to build upon itself it's the way that the universe creates more options or more uh more paths so to speak um but yeah so you know it's it's funny how like you know we're able to make these analogies because it's how the world works it's how we work um you know as we learn more about how the universe truly works we essentially learn more about ourselves you know it's 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 one of the main reasons 
one of the biggest reasons why I love physics so much. It's the how and why of things, the how and why of everything for that matter. Yeah, and once you can apply it to your everyday life and use those concepts in order to understand your own self better and maybe enhance or uh, put into a straighter line some of the your daily actions or intakes from the outside world, I feel like that's where it meets me and our listeners in how to apply uh, physics and, and large world concepts into our everyday life. That's, that makes it super important and uh, helpful. Well, as well, you know? Yeah, and I want to, something that comes up to my mind is, so every quantum computer would have to be close to an absolute zero. That's the, that's the infrastructure, the way it's built. So uh, that's how we are currently building them. Just because uh, at the moment we're also working on creating uh, room temperature superconducting, uh, superconducting pieces. Or basically we're trying to create a quantum computer that can work in a room temperature environment. That's where it comes down to understanding how to structure the very uh, lattice or atomic lattice of these metals itself. And that's also where the fields of condensed matter physics as well as uh, as well as well as atomic physics come into play. You know, it's how we understand these rigid structures or how we understand these uh, any structure that has a lattice for that matter on the microscopic scale. Once we understand it, similar with all technology we have today, once we understand the physical concepts behind it, the equations that govern it, we are then able to start creating and manipulating these structures for our own benefits. Um, now, I mean, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I need to read up more, but uh, going into these, you know, uh, going into this room temperature conducting states, or superconducting states, um, are we're making strides, uh, but I would like to say at least not for another 10 or more years, we will have an actual superconductor that works in room temperature. Um, and that's when we are able to create quantum computers that work in room temperature environments. And that means sending them out to the public, uh, being able to access it anywhere, using it for any part of of the market and adding it to warehouses, laboratories. Integrating it into our own society, you know, for everyone to use. But currently in, now we're in September, 2023, the only, uh, the only quantum computers existed are the ones that need this close to zero, to absolute zero degrees. How do we achieve that? Uh, how do we achieve like environments that are near absolute zero? Ah, oh, okay, yeah. So, uh, reason there are the ways we do that is that we have uh, certain there are certain fluids, superfluids. Um, <laughs> Everything it, is super and <laughs> quantum. Well, it's it's the it's the way that we create you know these these names that uh, allow for us to distinguish between classical and quantum regimes. Um, it's it sounds silly at first, but when you when you really get into it, you're like, okay, word, yeah, let's 
let's say that because if we just say fluid, then a fluid implies uh, resistance, uh, dynamics that are more working on classical principles. You know, it's it's important to make these distinguishes or distinguishable uh, distinguishability between these words. Um, and also, it's fun. It's also fun. Living in a Marvel-like world of like superheroes and them being sent out to uh, outer space exploration and everything super, so you can think of things from a higher stance. Yeah, you know, it uh, it gives us the joy of being like, wow, you know, we're creating these worlds that we've only ever seen in sci-fi movies or action movies, for that matter. It's uh, you know, it gives us it gives us joy. You know, and that's that's always an important thing. It gives us super joy. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so, um, you know, a uh, superfluid is one that is able to move, uh, again, with less, with little to no resistance. Um, you, pretty much the, the difference between, uh, you know, regular conductors, fluids. Um, uh, there's a few other things. Uh, we'll get into it when we get to that point. But anyway. Uh, it comes down to resistance. Uh, resistance is what causes our world to not move as fluidly or as, uh, oh, what's the word? Wow, I'm blanking on the word. Basically, yeah. Flow. That, yeah, with, with, uh, with a flow, if you will, sure. Um, and so, yeah. It, That's a bit of hippiness. <laughs> but anyway, um, you know, it's, uh, it's these abilities to move without being uh, perturbed. There we go. That's the word I was looking for. Wow. <laughs> um, perturbed and like distorted in order to create a uh, a more fluid or a more um, fast paced, or if you will, just a more ideal flow. So that's the whole idea behind super, adding super behind you know, fluid, conductivity, X, Y, and Z. It doesn't matter. Um, now, uh, with these superfluids, like I said, they're able to move with less resistance or little to no resistance. Because of the kind of fluids there are? Like, because what, what makes a fluid a superfluid in practicality? I understand the way you're looking at it from the scientific stance, but yeah. from I, I want to learn the uh, the recipe. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. Um, so, yeah, uh, the recipe, if you will, is entirely dependent on the type of uh, materials or, in this case, uh, elements that are being used. With a superfluid, we're using specific uh, specific types of elements, like I was saying, in order for them to move in a more gracious type of way, in a way in which they don't collide with each other as much. Because uh, let's think about uh, water, for that matter. Water has, you know, it's, it's H2O. Yes, that's the basis of, of you know, water and whatnot. But there's also other materials such as nitrogen, uh, oxygen, or more oxygen, uh, metals, you know, all these other things that we, like electrolytes, if you will. Water isn't a superfluid because it has all these different things that are moving in different places, hitting each other, and that's also due to the way that their polarization or their ion charge uh, works for each molecule. Some, some get attracted to each other, some get repulsed. And so the way that a superfluid works is that we have a uniform uh, set of, of atoms or elements, if you will, that are able to move together and not attract or repel each other. This allows for this consistent movement, this I or more ideal movement, if you will. That's, that's, also, that's extremely important. Um, now, these superfluids are not only uh, 
you know, less resistant moving fluids, but they're also extremely cold fluids. Uh, that's just, that's naturally how they are. Um, it's because heat is being generated when particles hit one another and because these particles just flow and they have, uh, um, what do you call this? Uh, for, for, they, no, they, they have no resistance. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, that's, no, that's exactly right. Uh, essentially when particles hit each other, just like you're saying, it creates, uh, thermal readings or it creates a, uh, an increase in heat. Heat also correlates to, you know, uh, more resistance like we were talking about earlier. And so, yeah, these fluids are, or these particles that are making up this fluid are not hitting each other and not creating thermal excitations. That's what allows for colder temperatures or naturally colder temperatures of these fluids to exist. Um, the way we also make these cold environments is using uh, uh, nitrogen-based cooling methods. It's essentially it's similar to like uh, freeze, uh, instant uh, freezing of like water or whatnot, like uh, similar to how we create dry ice, um, but on a more rigorous scale or a more uh, complex scale. So yeah, it's you know all these different methods, the super uh, the superfluids or super cold superfluids. Um, the actual environment of the room in which these uh, these instruments are being held in are extremely cold, and yeah, that, that's that's actually essentially how we create these uh, cold enough or near absolute zero environments that allow for these quantum computers to actually work. And so, these are basically the steps you need in order to create uh, a viable or um, useful quantum computer in. The world we exist in now until we eventually create a room conducting or room temperature super uh superconducting uh piece or superconducting quibit for that matter um and it's not just quibits that matter you know we have to create uh electrical junctions we have to create uh processors uh cpus gpus you know we have to create all these different elements that a normal computer has or a classical computer has into these quantum states. And so it's not just uh, creating, you know, a room type of super, uh, superconductor, but rather creating uh, all these different pieces that could work in room temperature and not just in an ultra cold environment. And still don't have resistance because it, yeah. in the end, it's all about taking out the resistance so things work out more fluidly. I have so many questions regarding operating systems and connecting to the internet or connecting to other computers in in the current state and in the future state I I kind of feel like it's natural to be able to connect because if we can find a superconductor that can work in normal temperature then the next step of evolution of computing is just occurring because it's out there and I'm thinking about like our mobile phones and the way the way we currently approach technology everything will want to have quantum quantities to it because everybody wants to take out the um, resistance because we're always looking to be faster to be more efficient and to to get things cheaper to better use energy and this 
this is a quote that leads me to a whole vastness of topics and ideas. Uh, I, I feel like we should wrap it up for, for this session and uh, just to let things uh, out. <laughs> it's a lot to take in at first. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, I want to really just, you know, state these real key points of our first talk or our first podcast. Um, you know, we, we dived onto these ideas of what quantum superposition is or superposition for that matter. Uh, the very essence of how we use superposition in order to create these quibits that exist both as yes and no. Why, you know, this creation of these yes and no states or these quibits are important because of how they are able to create many things at the same exact time rather than a classical computer that does one thing, goes back to the beginning, does the next thing, so on and so forth. You know, uh, going into these, again, uh, these ideas of, we're starting these ideas of our own consciousness and our own existence basically being a manifestation of quantum mechanics itself, as well as why any of this is important. Why should any of us care? And again, that dives back onto the fact that you were bringing up, it's that, you know, we're doing all these things nowadays, like ice baths, um, meditation, you know, all these things that allow for ourselves to become less resistant beings, allow for our own minds to flow. You know, it's, it's what allows for us to become more realized people in a way. You know, all of these topics are essentially what we've discussed today. And I hope that you consider continue to pon uh, ponder upon them. And if you have any questions, you know, send them out. Like, I'd be happy to answer them for our next podcast. Yeah, we'll be putting out an email address for all inquiries and probably open up a social media uh, following it up. I've had a pleasure. I'm super interested in hearing more and exploring further areas of existence, really. This is crazy that we're sitting in, in my house and just like imagining or thinking or uh, calculating the meaning of life, really. Uh, so yeah so for me for me it's been a pleasure and i'm super grateful to be here uh be here as well you know it's amazing being in israel again you know and just being able to be here with you Niv, and like talking about these things that matter you know these things that matter and actually matter <laughs> you know so to you, our listeners, we hope you enjoyed and uh, learned something new. My name is Niv Musan. I'm here with Ethan Wolf. Uh, we'll see you at the next episode. And stay super. Take out all resistance you can. <laughs> and until the next time, we'll see you next. See you around.